0: Well, look at me jumping in right off the top here. But I do so with some pretty exciting news. SpeakOla has had 100,000 downloads. Go on, future editing me. Throw in some fireworks, sound effects or something like that. Yes, it's very exciting. 100,000 downloads since May, I think, of 2020. Two and a half years. It's been a great joy, this podcast. And this is a bridal edition of the podcast. We're going to focus on a bride's speech today and I'm doing it croakily here off the top with COVID. Yes, it finally got me a couple of years of sidestepping carefully through the infectious molecules, but it got me, got my son Jack, got my wife Tamsin. We've had a tough week at home, but it has meant I've been able to edit this fantastic episode 100,000, thank you very much for listening. Thank you to everyone who's been a guest and who's listened and who's spread the word about the show, and especially people who have financially contributed to help me keep going with it, and that's the the patrons at patreon.com and also straight out donors as well. And in recent times, I've moved the newsletter over to a platform called Substack, It's a free newsletter still with more than 5,000 subscribers. But if you go to news.speakola.com, you can be on the newsletter list. And there's also the ability to be a paid subscriber. And more than 20 people have done that in the last 10 days. And it's much appreciated. It's actually the easiest way to help me keep this Speakola thing going. Go to news.speakola.com. If you do choose to be a paying subscriber, it's $5 a month or $50 a year.
1: We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields.
0: If you lay down with dogs, you get fleas. Fraud, sham and hypocrisy. Change within the system. The hollow man of anger
2: and bitterness all must be left to a bygone age. I
1: understand victory. I
0: understand sacrifice. I may not get
1: there with you, but we as a people will get to the promised land. Well,
0: may we say, God
2: save the Queen, because nothing will save the government yet.
1: Speak Ola with Tony
0: Wilson. Hello, speech lovers. Welcome to the Speak Ola podcast. I am Tony Wilson, and listen to that. Gravelly, scratchy, deep voice. It is a COVID positive Tony Wilson. I have spent the last couple of years just sidestepping and inching my way around the infected particles, but one of them got me. It was my son Jack. He became positive at my 50th birthday. My brother Ned, yep, we had a super spreader, did my extended family gathering. Never mind, the speeches were excellent and so far the symptoms not too serious for the several people that contracted COVID. And this is a great episode of the show. Our special guest is Laura Lex. She is a UK comedian and she came to prominence when she wrote a series of Jurgen Klopp tweets. Jurgen Klopp, the straight shooting, somewhat dour German coach of Liverpool, And Laura imagined a relationship with him, one where she is the impulsive, crazy, almost scatterbrained half of the relationship and Jürgen provides the sensible backbone. And then they, at the end of each tweet, have sex. That's pretty much how it works. Anyway, the tweets were hilarious. They went around the world. They spawned a book called Clop Actually. But the relationship we want to focus on for the feature speech today is Laura's real relationship because her bridal speech is up on YouTube, or at least small sections of it, and it's fantastic. And so I decided to call Laura up in the UK. And so for this chat, Laura talks about bridal speeches, what she aimed for, what she thinks works, what happened at her own wedding. It's an excellent chat with a very funny and interesting woman. Laura Lex. Speak Ola. Thanks Laura for coming on Speak Ola.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: So Laura Lex, I know you as an author. I know I actually discovered you, I think. That sounds so same, weird to
2: me. <laughs> in the same
0: way as about 50,000 or 5 million of us discovered you which is when your Jurgen Klopp ruminations of 2020 <laughs> went around the world you you went viral that's not very speechly for me to start as a question but how does it feel to have your life upended in 12 hours
2: i it was such a and this is overused but it was such a roller coaster because the whole thing happened this is march 2020 and it was about a week before the British government closed us down for lockdowns, So I'm not sure where you were with lockdowns then, but we were open and there was lots of talk about lockdowns, but it was right back in that bit where we kind of couldn't really imagine how that was going to work. You remember that bit where you're like, well, they can't just stop everything. We can't just stay in. Yeah. Um So I'd gone up to Glasgow. I was gigging in Glasgow. I'd got an overnight train up. The guy behind me was aggressively drunk and coughing all the way there. It was not some sort of cute Hogwarts Express sleeper train situation. It was just sitting bolt upright on a train while it went very slowly to Glasgow. And I remember getting to that hotel room and the guy on the desk sort of went, do you want me to just check you in now? And I was like, it's 9 a.m. Are you allowed? And he was like, babe, I think you need it. And I was like, Thank you, I love you. Um, and then sort of sitting in that hotel room, and I went out and did my gig, and it it there was such a weird atmosphere. Like it was a sold-out gig, but I think about a third of people hadn't come. And it was weird. So then I got back to the hotel room and just feeling that real on edge thing and I started tweeting and I'd seen Jürgen Klopp do this interview where someone had asked him about coronavirus and he'd gone why are you asking me I'm a football manager all you'll get from me is the wrong information because you'll only get an opinion I'm not a scientist (laughs) so don't ask people that don't know and I was like wow (laughs) this is amazing
0: and Laura is worth on a speeches podcast celebrating that little news grab because As you say in your book, Klopp, actually, no one does this anymore. No celebrity, no well-known person does this. But have a listen to Jürgen Klopp saying he knows nothing about medicine. (laughs)
1: Look, what I don't like in life is that um, a very serious thing, a football manager's opinion is important. I don't understand that. I really don't understand it. It, 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 it. Can could ask you? You are exactly in the same role than I am. So, and it's not is important. what famous people, but famous people, but famous people some say, some no, you have to. We have to speak about the things in the right manner. Not people with no knowledge, like me, talking about something. People with knowledge should talk about it and should tell the people do this, do that, do this, and everything will be fine or not. So, and not football managers. I don't understand that. Politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and um, I have a bad shave. I'm concerned as much as you, maybe less, I'm not sure, I don't know exactly what your amount of is of being concerned, but um, my opinion is really not important. I live on this planet and I want the planet to be safe, healthy, I wish everybody the best, absolutely. But my opinion about Corona is not important. If somebody tells me we play football, we play football, because I think smarter people said we can play football. I will not make the decision.
2: Thanks, guys. It's beautiful, isn't it? Just to hear somebody say, that's not my area of expertise with no self-deprecation... And no worry about not knowing the answer to everything. I think nowadays we automatically start answering questions before we're even sure if we know the answer. And and he didn't do that. And so I ended up down a little rabbit hole of like, who is this man and what is he doing? And started tweeting about it. And at the time, I think I had about seven or 8,000 Twitter followers. And, it you know, people were having a good time with it. It was late night on a Friday. And then when I woke up on the Saturday I didn't have a mask and hand sanitizer was impossible to get hold of at the time. Cause it was before the mass production had really kicked off. So I didn't have a mask or sanitizer. I didn't want to go out into town because of the terror. So I stayed in and just carried on tweeting and it just took off. And I think because it was, it was either ruminating on what might happen and fear about what was coming up or my thread. <laughs> Those were the two things on the internet that day. And so I went from 8,000 followers to 40,000 in about 10 hours, I think.
0: Well, I was just reading them again to my brother-in-law uh, over at dinner before. And they just really do stand up. He was in, in stitches. <laughs> is, there, is there one? Can you do them off the top of your head nowadays? Do you know oh, them so no. well? Or
2: No, oh, my memory for stuff like that is bad.
0: <laughs> and if you got one? I mean, I, I, can you do his voice?
2: No, no. And anybody that's listened to the book on Audible knows that I just wimped out of that very early on and went, Look, I can't do voices. It'll be so offensive to anybody of a German background listening. So, yeah. No.
0: Well, well, I guess the, if you had to say the structure of each tweet is you think of something sort of fun or not sensible, he comes up with the sensible solution, and then you have sex. Would you say that's yeah. the three part structure? Yeah, that's about <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Well,
0: it's a magic yeah. formula. Stuff like this. Uh, we'd be getting ready to go out on a Saturday and I'd say, Do I look fat in this? And he'd say, You have a pretty reasonable body fat amount, I think. But if you're unhappy here are, here are some fitness regimes you could get into and then we'd sensible fuck. That is the <laughs> uh <laughs> the um but I I loved them and it was it was huge. It went right around Australia as well and and so I knew who you were and your book was on my dad's coffee table and, you know, you were a bit of a sensation amongst us football fans as well as comedy fans. And then in my speechy job, I was trawling for wedding speeches and, and one came up as hilarious bride speech and I watched it the whole way through and had no idea what you looked like really. And then <laughs> there it was, at Laura Lex at the end. I
2: went, oh. That's her. That's her. That's the <laughs> earlier
0: incarnation of her. Yeah. So, the wedding speech. That's why I've got you on.
2: Yeah, 2015. That's seven years ago now.
0: So tell us, um, in terms of writing a wedding speech, I mean, what was your job? How were the, How were you? What were you assigned to do with the wedding speech?
2: Very little, because as much as I speak for a living, I'm a very emotional person, and I knew that when I was talking about actual things. I would be incomprehensible very quickly. So luckily, I'm married to another comedian who is also very good at public speaking. So we decided that he would do a lot of the thank yous and the vast majority of the speaking on behalf of both of us. But I thanked him and my sister who had been sort of integral to getting the wedding together.
0: And so can you tell us who he is? Are you sort of a celebrity comedy couple over there?
2: Um like if you're very into comedy yes but if you like we're not like Lucy or John Richardson or something like that no yeah. um he is one quarter of the noise next door who are a very successful improv troupe over here probably like well they're the biggest improv troupe i suppose probably on the on the circuit if you want to see us working together on something if you have a look for our roast battle we did do a roast battle together uh, or not together against each other so that's a good way to see us uh working together
0: laura's a lot like a roller coaster there are ups and downs and a lot of people have thrown up whilst riding her
2: (laughs) if only you knew how many of those were since our marriage
0: (laughs) Uh, laura is incredibly indecisive she couldn't even pick one haircut
2: He'd rather not eat than have to wipe his own ass later. Good. Tom is so lazy we can only f- during earthquakes.
0: It's funny because uh, Laura obviously cares a lot about what she looks like. She works really hard to come out here looking like lesbian edition Polly Pocket. And what's his name?
2: He's called Tom Livingstone.
0: And, and what's the roast battle topic?
2: Uh, pulling each other apart f- horribly. Yeah, just roasting each other, really. They did a, I think it was a couple special on whatever channel it was. Dave? I want to say Dave. Uh, channel 4? Comedy Central. I think it was Comedy Central. They did a couple special. Um, and so they got lots of comedians that were in relationships to um, try and ruin their own relationships. But luckily we survived.
0: And and did, did was it challenging? Did you actually, does it something like that end up being, More than professional if you're going too hard?
2: No, because, you know, not to do too much behind the curtain stuff, but we looked over each other's jokes and gave each other toppers and kind of went, oh, hang on a minute, why don't you add that I'm shit at that to this? (laughs) Why don't you say this? And sort of, you know, you go into such a professional mode with stuff like that. It's where it was really different to doing the wedding speech was that I have done full hour long shows I've toured a show about my problems with conceiving a child and climate anxiety and things like that and I it's jokes it's it's my own feelings but I've turned it into work something and there there's like, like a filter in your brain about it so if I was having a screaming row with Tom I'd be really upset and I'd be worried but because we were like oh this is work it's a different thing these are just jokes for joke's sake like a joke is a to me it's a thing that you've built up and created it's it might be based on personal stuff but you've you've manufactured it and engineered it and you've removed it from an emotional place most of the time
0: and when you're doing a wedding space did that feel very different did you have to is it is it like these people are here to see us declare our love for one another so it can't be that fiction that you're talking about
2: yeah I I and I think I didn't want it to be fiction It's very different to talk in front of people who know you because if you are the stranger in the room, which stand-up comedy requires that you are the outsider in some way or that you are in some way an unknown quantity, whereas if you try to gig in front of people who really know you, they can see the gap between who you're being in the performance and who you are. So, I didn't really want my wedding speech to be attempting a form of informal stand up. I wanted it to be quite truthful, but funny. Like, you know, we've all sat through really long, dull wedding speeches. (laughs) Nobody wants to, nobody wants 45 minutes on the ins and outs of something boring. You want to put the music on and go dancing. So, I wanted to be quite genuine. And I think there's something really beautiful about wedding speeches where people do have to listen and it's not often that I'm going to gather all my friends attention and go has everybody thought today about what brilliant man Tom is? like you just don't (laughs) do that it's weird (laughs) whereas with a wedding you're like well listen guys I bought you dinner so you are just going to look at me for four minutes and listen to what a brilliant man he is and there's something ritualistic and beautiful about taking a moment to do that I think so I didn't want it to be like my work
0: And did you go first or did Tom go first?
2: I went first. So I think it was, who spoke first overall? It might have been my dad first and then me, then Tom, then the best men or something. I can't quite remember what order we went in, but I spoke before him because then he had so much more work to do, bless him, (laughs) I basically said, I will cry. So you need to do most of the thank yous on our behalf. (laughs)
0: And so you, when you're looking at the program, let's put on your, you know, you're a, an entertainer. You're someone who knows what works in terms of a program. If you were telling each of those jobs what needs to be delivered, the the parent of one of the spouses, the best man or the maid of honour, and then the groom and, and the bride, what would you say the the requirements are of each of those jobs?
2: Um, I think... I think your job is to be as personal as it's right to be for you and the marrying couple. You kind of want, I think, to write or to say the speech that only you could give. Because if you're just saying stuff because you have to do a speech, you might as well not say it. Nobody wants to hear that and you don't want to say it. I think it never hurts to have them be much shorter than you think they should be but then only leaving in what only you could have said.
0: Oh, that's such good advice I, I, I often when I looked on these YouTube clips of wedding speeches especially the best man speeches you often feel like you're getting a, a cookie cutter or you get a joke about the best man am I really the best man you know you, they follow a a path that you know is kind of an internet path of what a wedding is, what wedding nights are, what a best man is. Mm. And it's all it's all pieced together from these tropes. And and really the bit that everyone loves is I met them here and yeah. this is how we became friends and this is the time I lost him and this is the time he hated me and this is the time I won him back <laughs> with flowers and and fantasy football or whatever. And then people are with you, aren't they?
2: Yeah. Well, I think I can completely understand how people end up like that, though, because most people don't talk loads for a living, or if they do, it is in a formulaic way, like at work, or the last time you did it was school, where you were given formulas. So you can completely understand how, as a sort of crutch, you want to go for structure, or you look up what you've seen, and you kind of rewrite that to suit you. But I think... Unless you talk a lot in front of people, you don't understand that there's no, there's very little genuine repercussions for talking badly in front of people. Like people often say to me, like, I don't know how you do it. You do it so brave. And you go, do you know how brave someone has to be to stand up in an audience and tell me they don't like what I'm doing? It doesn't happen. Uh, <laughs> you could deliver the worst wedding speech anybody has ever given in the history of the world. And 99% of the time, the whole congregation will just sit there politely listening and then clap mediocrely at the end and then go, oh, that was great. Well done. Like, you can't really get these things wrong when it's done with love.
0: <laughs> oh, and a wedding, you almost certainly you've got the crowd absolutely in your corner. Although you became famous. You talk about, you talk about the courage it takes to get on your feet. It wasn't putting down a heckler your first sort of break that you, you had a, a, a yeah. bit of a clip that went around because you handled a heck, heckler very well?
2: Yeah, but again, even with that, he kind of called out within a group of people and it shows the power of being person I mean I'm particularly I am good at dealing with hecklers I'm a quick thinker and I've done it for years and I do a lot of hosting so I'm very good at dealing with an audience it's but even if you're not it's stacked in your favor dealing with somebody from the crowd because in order to shout something like that they've probably had several drinks and you probably haven't because you're doing a speech and you've got a microphone which means you automatically have gravitas and the whole room can hear you whereas they probably can't completely hear what this other person's saying so you've got you know yeah it's stacked in in your favor to deal with somebody interrupting you but when we're talking speeches who's heckling at a wedding that they've been invited (laughs) to like so if you're prepping for a wedding speech I think like write with love and just write your own story with it and ne- and just do not be afraid of it being airing on the side of shorter because in something short and beautiful, no one ever go they, they might go, oh, I could have listened to that for 20 more minutes, but that's not them criticising you and going, you should have talked for 20 more minutes. That's brilliant. You want to leave them wanting more.
0: Well, you went in saying you, you declared your hand and said that uh, Tom was less likely to cry than you and that's why he had the the more thank yous, and then you cranked out the word moist, which is <laughs> I, well, it is. It's a it's a good word, isn't it? It's a it's a comedian's word.
2: I didn't trust myself that I'd be able to do this at all, <laughs> so I've given him a list of things that I needed to say on the grounds that he is proven to be a much less moist
1: public speaker. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah i think that was ad-libbed i don't think that that was in the written version of it i remember i definitely hadn't written i think i say he's a much less moist public speaker than me and then i went facially moist um as a sort of euphemistic thing and I definitely hadn't written that I think that was an in the moment thing and then sort of a quick glance at my mother to go like <laughs> oh god how much am I going to hear about this for the rest of my life of ruining my own wedding with my misbehavior
0: so how much writing did you do for your few minutes
2: I wrote the whole thing I wrote it very carefully and I would planned it for months I started to think about what I wanted to say and it kind of done almost like a joke process with it where i i knew what i wanted to say about tom was that for me in my relationship tom is the is the central pole of my world he is absolutely the the bedrock of, of my life. Like I find him intensely comforting. He's very funny and charming and, you know, he's everything else. But he is, he, we have like a sort of relationship. I'm very scatty and all over the place and Tom is constant. So I knew that that was sort of a place that I was coming from in terms of talking. And then, you know, the the word people use is, oh, he's my rock, you know. And, and then mm. I sort of was like, okay, so something along those lines. And then the more I mulled on it, like I remember driving along motorways kind of Mulling and thinking up words and things I wanted to say and I was like well rock though is so like anonymous I really was like he's not really a rock and then you start going right well if he's not a rock what is he then and that's where I came to mattress (laughs) he's not my rock he's my mattress because (laughs) you know you'd have to see tom but he's six foot three he's very broad he's so sort of handsome and cuddly and cozy and 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 so then the jokes sort of came from there but it did come from this absolute place of love it wasn't like oh what's a joke i'll make that work it was it came from what do i actually want to say and then how can i make that more personal to us so I describe you as my rock, but the more that word sat there on the page, the less suitable it seemed for you. Rocks are hard and cold and unmoving and you are none of those things. You're not a rock, you're more of a mattress.
0: That brings the house down, and that's the bit that you know has made it a really successful three-minute example of a bride thank you speech on YouTube. But you also left parts out. You gave a little super title saying that this is a bit I'm going to leave out, um, and that was a bit for your sister. And I, I presume yeah. that's just something you didn't want to put out, and you probably don't want to put out here. But but what was, I guess, was that the feeling, just the <laughs> what she means in your life, and and those sorts of
2: things. <laughs> Just
1: two people that I have to speak to myself. Firstly, to
2: my sister Sarah. I wanted to thank her. I, I probably partly left that out, for, you know, for personal reasons. And partly it's not, it wasn't funny. I didn't try and make that bit funny at all. It. I wanted to thank her. She's my older sister. She's, there are four of us siblings and, you know, she's, paid a big part in almost sort of helping raise us in a way she's wonderful she's really good and I especially wanted to thank her for I think without her I'd have had a very much smaller wedding and wouldn't have really done half the stuff that we did for it and I was very grateful to her for making me have a wedding in quotation marks properly because without her, I'd have gone, oh, we don't need flowers. We don't need this blah, 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 blah. And she kind of went, do it though. Because there are so many other parties you can have that don't have all this frippery. I promise you there will be something wonderful about doing it the ridiculously traditional sort of way. Do it. And, and she, yeah, she was the one that sort of made me take my wedding seriously in a way. Because to me, it was such a... Well, it doesn't really matter. I love Tom. It's just me and Tom being in love and getting married. Like, why do we need to do all this stuff for everybody else? And she went, trust me, you will never look back and regret doing this with, like, both feet in. So, yeah.
0: And the speeches were part of that. You had a very traditional program, I guess. Did did, did you have, um, so father of the groom and father of the bride? I don't,
2: I can't remember if Tom's dad spoke. Or That's mothers? awful, isn't it? No, our mothers didn't speak. They would both have hated that. I don't think either of Tom's parents spoke, from my memory. My dad did, and he was very nervous. I've never seen him nervous like that before. He'd made notes. I was not expecting that. I was very much expecting him to stand up, wing something, and then sit down and carry on drinking, and he'd fully written a speech. I know he was a bit nervous because, obviously, we have a lot of comedian friends who were there, and so he found it a bit intimidating to talk in front of them. And then Tom's speech was lovely. And then our, well, Tom's best men were the other guys from his improv group so they'd they performed (laughs) they (laughs) had a 20 minute sketch they had this (laughs) I've still got it somewhere this enormous roll of paper that they pulled out and it went right round the marquee like a timeline and they'd done all these cartoons of Tom when they'd met Tom and then Tom meeting me and then our life together and and how they all wove into it and they all had different roles to do and stepping forward and stepping back and it was it was supremely them and so thoughtfully made for us it was really wonderful
0: that's so lucky isn't it to have that level of talent in, in yeah. the group I mean uh, there's one that I love on speakola and one that's a very famous groom speech is Lin-Manuel Miranda have you seen that one
2: I've not seen that one no so I bet that's uh, good though uh, he, uh,
0: he <laughs> I saw that one again without this was before Hamilton and he uh, he was pretty big so I think he'd done the heights and is it in the heights or is it heights? Yeah. what was it in the
2: heights
0: yeah in the heights i think yeah so I, I think he done in in the heights and and this guy who i couldn't recognize again he starts singing um to life the Am," to life the um mm-hmm. the fiddler on the roof song and it's and then the whole groom family kicks in like it's fiddler on the roof that it's been rehearsed like a lin manuel Miranda musical theater it is wow. just incredible i just Highly recommend anyone have a look at that. But for you to get Britain's best improv team together to do <laughs> twenty min- minutes must be yeah. amazing.
2: But and, I think and- I think it doesn't. Yeah, we're lucky to have that talent. But we weren't watching that thinking, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" The No Thanks Door performing at our wedding. We were watching that thinking, "Man, they have sat down and they've thrown." stuff at the wall in oh do you remember when Tom did that oh do you remember when that happened oh do you remember that night and and you could see the conversations they'd had to pull stuff out of the woodwork and, and make it work for the thing about a wedding obviously is that they're all sure all our friends were there that knew all of us but also loads of my aunts and some friends that I had from school that are, you know, none of my friends from uni knew. Um, so they really made it work no matter what phase of our life you'd known us at. And I think that's what anybody can do with the right amount of kind of passion for it and love for the couple. You you can go in and, and pull out this and and sort of go, oh, that and that and that and what makes them and their life and our life and all of us unique. That that's what makes it work.
0: And it's interesting your mattress line. I think I've seen comments underneath on the YouTube timeline, which with people asking if you if they can use the joke. You know, and I talk about cookie cutter bride and groom speeches, but people now see that joke and go, "I'd like to use that joke mm. as well." And, they, and some people are good enough to ask permission. Um, <laughs> but. Did you have more? Did you cut the video there because that was a great outline? Or did you then go on and, and say more to him? Just to get a sense of, of you say a, a short speech is sometimes a good speech. Just how short this thank you was?
2: My speech was very short. I think I did have a few more heartfelt lines after that. I know that bit, it's a while since I watched that clip, but you know, he's not a rock. He's my mattress. In the, He's the center of my world. He's comfortable. He's very hard to get out of a house without help, and I've had some of the best times of my life on him. Um, but I think I did. Have, I did have some more genuine things to say to him, of course. So, so and that was
0: the comedian in you, like it was. Like, yeah, like, that, that's I, 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 the I, like,
2: like. That works for YouTube. Let's let's throw this out and see if it's any good in the eternal hunt for online content. Um, but no, there were some more personal lines, but very short. Like, I think especially for him, I wanted to say thank you to him and I wanted to publicly declare that I loved him. But most of what we had to say to each other that day happened, you know, in little moments together.
0: Well, can I say that the, the remembering to thank the spouse is that d- d- only one of my friends forgot, Richard Spurritt, if you get to this podcast, <laughs> it is you, <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, that was a memorable night. Um, but yeah, it's just it's it's amazing how important it is just to remember to say those nice things about the spouse because you know that's the reason you're there, and people will really notice if you don't yeah. thank the <laughs> spouse. Yeah,
2: it's I can see how you forget though because there's so many people to thank, and people are so kind when it comes to weddings that they just you know, there's a million people and then you sit down and go, oh, even with all of those notes that we made about everyone, we should think we forgot someone. But again, it just doesn't really matter if it's done with love.
0: And you say that, um, that that there's a nervousness that comes with knowing everyone in the audience and having aunts and school friends and uni friends and everyone thrown together. Can you actually remember the feeling of standing up there to begin that speech? Had the decade and a half of being on your feet and winning winning we call it raw comedy do you call it raw comedy um for the you, you won the class clowns or the school comedy competitions and you, you'd had this sort of stellar comedy career really yeah. and um, and then you're standing up how, how, how different is it to stand in a wedding dress all in white with a veil with everyone <laughs> there versus standing in a club
2: it's totally different because I'm not performing in a persona when I'm on in a club I'm me and my comedy is always me but it's a one step removed from me because I'm bulletproof on stage. I know exactly who I am and I know exactly what I'm doing and I'm very, very good at it. And it's one of the only times in my life I would ever be like, yes, I'm really good at this. (laughs) (laughs) I know what I'm doing. There's not a doubt in my mind when I'm on stage. I'm not up there thinking, ah, there's so many people that, you know, you should have booked instead of me. I'm like, no, I'm here and I will give your audience a good time. That's what I do. Whereas for the wedding, there was none of that because I wasn't up there to perform. I was up there to be myself. And so you have got a much bigger layer of vulnerability. But I think tiny things like completely understanding how to project to the entire room, completely understanding how to look around the room and make sure that I was, you know, including everybody and that looking relatively natural rather than, I have been told to turn and face every corner of the room and rotating, you know, that people that haven't done it for a decade, they don't do it. And of course they don't. Why would they? Um, So that made the speech go better. But again, you're, you're saying things that mean something. When I'm on stage doing stand up, I've probably said what I'm saying there upwards of 30 times, probably for the fourth time that week, sometimes for the second time that night. But with my wedding, that was that was unique. One of the things that Tom and I have always said is incredible about your own wedding is that every other wedding you've been to, there's just a load of random people there that are quite boring. And who the hell is that table of old people? And what's the point? And ugh, aren't weddings a bit weird? At your own wedding, you know every person there and you have something personal with every person there. And even the table of old people that nobody wants to talk to they mean something to you. So it's so different to everyone else's wedding. It's amazing. It's incredible. So you're looking around all these tables, like doing your speech and going, oh, I used to paddle in a river with you. Oh, you used to tell me off for being cheeky. Oh, you're Tom's friend. And I first met you that night and you told me all those stories. Like every single eye contact you make means something. It's yeah. amazing,
0: and it goes so fast as a result, doesn't it? Because mm. it feels like it's uh, yeah. You 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 it feels like if you spend seven minutes with each person, you kind of it's three in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The um did Tom do a great job as well? Did he Did he remember to thank you and express his love for you?
2: Yeah, he did. He did so well. He'd numbered out the thank you. So my lucky number is twenty eight. And I think he'd worked his speech out so that there were twenty-seven thank yous, and then see, I cannot talk about stuff like this without getting emotional. (laughs) Uh, His twenty-eighth thank you was for me, Um, and just a thank you for marrying him. I'm such a sap. I cannot (laughs) be emotional. I went
0: with I went with um, ten things I love about you. On the it was it was only ten. It was only ten years after Heath Ledger's movie, but I somehow dredged that back out for
1: for,
0: <laughs> my, for the end of my. Did you come up to? Right? Uh,
2: you're just too good to be true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Did you sing in yours? No, <laughs> No,
2: I can't sing at all. Sounds I'm dreadful like you're singer. Sing quite well. <laughs>
0: mm. and, and what about learning to speak? You talk about the eye contact and controlling the room. I'm always interested, and I almost always ask every podcast guest. Was there a moment of discovery? Was it at school or was it at uni or was there a, were you asked to give a 21st speech or was there a sense, oh, I can do this, I can be good with words and I can be confident on my feet? Do you know when it hit you, the realisation? I
2: think I've had that from really young. My primary school was very theatrical. For a for a tiny village primary school, like just your bog standard C of e, State school or whatever We used to do a lot of plays And I think I showed quite a good Ability to speak in public And to learn lines And my reading comprehension was quite good Very early Sort of you know, at about five or six, I was good at that sort of thing. So I'd get a lot of roles in the plays or if there was somebody that had to do a lot of the narration, that would be me because I could learn it and, and recite it. So I think I think it was quite early.
0: And then stand-up, when do you make the decision, I'm not going to be an actor, I'm not going to be a, you know, a politician, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and make people laugh. Was that, was that a uni decision?
2: Yeah, it was. I'd gone to uni, so sort of had a real interest in theatre and drama all the way through my childhood. And then my parents wanted me to get a degree. So drama school wasn't really an option. So I went and studied drama at uni. And then the uni I picked had quite a large comedy angle to it. So I... I did a lot of comedy stuff through the drama society as I went through. And then once I'd done my undergraduate degree, there was an optional fourth year and I ended up studying stand up comedy for that. So sort of looking at the history of comedy and how comedy works and laughter theory and the psychology of humor And as part of that course, you had to do 10 gigs and document them, looking at how the room affected, how the gig went or, you know, what factors made the gig good or not good and then sort of studying it. And I think I did something like 40 gigs instead of the 10 you were meant to. (laughs) Uh, And so I left uni with a little bit of a start in comedy. I'd reached the finals of some competitions as part of my, you know, the gigs I had to do for my course. But I suppose in the back of my head at that point, I still thought, well, I really want to act. But comedy was just so much easier to get into. Like acting is such a noise. You've got to have auditions. You've got to know how to get those auditions. You've got to meet the right people. And then, you know, you have an audition. You don't get it. Another week goes by before the next thing. Whereas comedy was more like oh rock up to this open mic gig do 10 minutes meet somebody who'll tell you about another gig go and do that do five minutes and it seemed to build much more naturally on itself whereas acting was way more about waiting for someone to give you an opportunity
0: and how much do you reckon the theories helped you I do see the beautiful writing structure and the structuring of a joke in something like the Jurgen Klopp tweets I mean they they are beautifully structured and but then I look at someone like Ross Noble. I went to his show here in Melbourne this year, and I imagine Ross. I know he is an ma- amazing consumer of comedy, but mm. like comedy theory, would he be into that? It's kind of looking at him, it just feels like it's watching Mozart play you know, music or something. There's, it's, it, How much of it did you end up thinking the theory helped you, and how much is it? Oh, that's just funny, and that's that's my innate sense of humor and you just got to go with yourself
2: Uh I think when it comes to performing I don't think I consciously think about the theory all that much but it probably is there but even with what you just said there of oh that's just funny that's just my innate sense of humor what do you mean by that what is funny what is well, like well, funny is really a thing
1: well I guess so many different things funny funny can be funny, can funny can't they funny.
2: But I would argue that funny is not necessarily in the hands of the funny provider. It's in the hands of the receptor. And comedy is so interesting with that where, I mean, you only have to look at the abuse I get on social media every time I post a clip of myself (laughs) doing stand-up. That's just not funny though, despite the fact that there's 10 other comments going, oh my God, I love this, this is hilarious. So comedy is one of those things where if somebody doesn't like it, they declare it isn't what it is whereas you very rarely get someone that listens to a whole song and then goes that wasn't music <laughs> it was you didn't like it and so comedy is is one of those like schrodinger things that exists and doesn't exist all at the same time it's it's really interesting
0: this is one of the, the most philosophical moments in the history of this <laughs> podcast, but I'm, I'm glad you provided it. And, um, and I certainly encourage people to watch the clips you're putting up on social media, and, and the, for me, they're hilarious. And, um, oh, and I think you're going to have a massive career. I can't wait till you come out to the Melbourne Comedy Festival. And, yeah, we're, I think we're definitely going to be seeing you out here soon.
2: Very hopeful. Yes, please.
0: And, uh, and already you've already
2: decided be- to do my little tour of all of the block buildings when I get around this.
0: And and Laura, I should mention also, you've become an author, and I don't mean I'm not in any way devaluing writing the tweets up into Cop, actually, <laughs> which I'm sure was a massive seller, but you've done the hard yards, some yards I've done myself, of a, a proper novel, a big, yeah. long uh, six hours to read, according to Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> novel words and it's called pivot netball yeah
2: it's um it's a story in a world that i've had in my back pocket for years about a woman who sort of reaches a point in her life where she doesn't really have any hobbies and has kind of let a lot of her life slide in order to bring up children and and have a job and you know suddenly looks around and goes oh the kids have left home and I've retired and what is, what do I do for me I can't remember and so she starts a netball team um and I wanted a a way to bring a large group of women together in a comedy setting that wasn't about them being mothers and wasn't like a workplace And I'd had some stand-up material that I've been doing for a while about how I hate netball and I hate the concept of it. I think it really held a lot of women back that instead of being taught football or a sport that was televised and people were interested in, we had to learn netball for no apparent reason. And so it was like, oh, why don't I sort of bring a lot of that you know every woman in the commonwealth had to play netball and has these feelings about it like oh netball <laughs> and so i kind of wanted to to sort of bring that back into the world a little bit
0: well it's just, it's interesting that you chose that age group as well i always think you know that people novelists go on this trajectory through life you know i'm 50 at the moment and crank out a lot of having young kids Pieces of writing, I guess, and if I was trying to write a novel now, I think I'd go, oh, it'd be a parent, wouldn't it? Whereas you projected into that older age group, I and mean, it's, it's it's a really skillful thing to do, and 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 but maybe an odd decision. People probably don't expect someone writing their first novel to go, I'm gonna I'm gonna write with my protagonist, you know, after our kids have left home.
2: I think because I originally wrote Pivot for television, and I'm really sort of quite angry about the lack of good roles for older women that it's not gone undocumented that a lot of older actresses talk about falling off the ability to play a lead role past even 45 let alone where I've pitched my characters kind of in their early 60s so I wanted to create something where We have phenomenal comic actresses in the world. And I wanted a world where they could all work together, where it wasn't like, oh, which one of the brilliant women have you put in this show for the one slot that was available for them? I wanted a a program that would get all of the comedy greats able to work together. So that's sort of partly why I put them as older. But it never really occurred to me because I'm going to be that age one day. It's not like an older age is something that, is completely separate from from who I am I'm 36 but that is waiting for me I'm on my way there like we talk about age sometimes and disability as if it's something other that will never happen to us and of course it isn't it's our all of our eventual destination so understanding that you are still a person whatever your age (laughs) seemed not crazy out of the realms of of believability to me.
0: Well, I'm 49 and I have my first unloader brace, which is moves the weight from my medial cartilage to my lateral cartilage, so my arthritis <laughs> can cope. <laughs> so there you go. Tell 35-year-old me that that's in my future. Yeah. <laughs> well, Laura, the, the book is pivot, and I am a few chapters in with my Laura Lex SWAT today, and it is really excellent, a good golf club fling in the (laughs) first chapter as she copes with the departure of her husband, Um, but I'm really looking forward to reading the rest of that, and Klopp actually is a classic, it is a classic humour book, and if, if, if you want to get a taste for it, look up at Laura Lex in order to read the Jürgen Klopp tweets because they will absolutely give you a sense of what the book's about so they're both great and laura thanks i'm going to play the wedding speech at the end so people the little bit of wedding speech that we've got but thanks so much for being on speak ola
2: thank you for having me thank you
0: For 10 episodes at least, Speak Ola is being sponsored by DocPlay, the world's best documentary streaming service. I watched a film called Palazzo di Cozzo the other night. Such a great film about the Melbourne furniture icon Franco Cozzo. Comprie to Franco Cozzo, Nord of Melbourne and Footscray, who almost every Melbourneian remembers from his late night ads of the 1980s and 90s. But it is a fantastic film and it is the sort of fare you get on DocPlay. The stuff that you don't find on Netflix and Stan. Just a huge range of interesting and often award-winning documentaries. I've watched one on North Korea. I've watched one about that murdered Washington Post journalist by the Saudi government. It really is an excellent platform. DocPlay.com. And if you go to docplay.com forward slash racks forward slash speakola, you'll see my grinning face and my docplay recommendations, and you can sign up and get 45 days free. That's 45 days to decide whether you'll like it, and I pretty much guarantee that you will. docplay.com forward slash racks forward slash speakola. Link in show notes. Speech of the Week. Well, I played Laura Lex's bridal speech, or what we have of it, that's on YouTube. I played that during the interview. So, for Speech of the Week, I thought, why not play the Lin-Manuel Miranda speech to his bride, Vanessa, in 2010? This was before Hamilton, after In the Heights, and it is such a joyous watch. It's, in fact, even better to watch on YouTube, where you get to see family members appearing from the wings to serenade Vanessa with L'Chaim to life from Fiddler on the Roof. It is such a funny and great video. And here it is.
1: And um, I want to thank you all for being here, all our friends and family. And you know, Lynn, you're not expecting this, but I think you can help me toast all our friends and family. So please come up and join me. Come on, don't be shy, you've been here before. You've been here before. (laughs) Uh, How should I start? Well, we all want money, so here's to our prosperity. To our health and happiness. And most importantly, to life, to life, L'Haïm, La L'Haïm, to life Here's to the father I tried to be, here's to my bride-to-be Drink L'Haïm, to life, to
2: life, La L'Haïm, to life Life has a way of confusing
0: us,
1: blessing and bruising us
0: Drink L'Haïm, to life
1: God would like us to be joyful, even when our hearts lie panting on the floor. How much more can we be joyful when there's really something to be joyful for? To life, to life, lehiem. Pedassa, uh, my daughter. My wife. Something to think about. Something to drink about.
2: Drink lehiem. Danny, Rep. Sarah, drinks for everyone! What's the occasion? I'm picking myself a bride! Who's it to be? Frank's daughter, Vanessa! Mazel tov! To Lin-Manuel, to Frankie, Vanessa, your daughter. My wife! May all your futures be pleasant ones, my time, my present
1: ones. Drink Laha'em, to life, to life, I la Laha'em! It takes a wedding to make a sale. Let's live another day. Drink Lahaina to lie. We a glass and sip we'll <laughs> <not> a of shops In to drink good. What the, the favors you? <laughs> we know that when good fortune favors two such men, it stands for reason. We deserve it too. To us and our good fortune. Be happy. Be healthy. Long well life. Robia To
0: That's it for the episode. Oh, I am indeed. And thank you, Laura Lex, for being a wonderful guest. You can follow her on Twitter, at Lex, laura. You can find her website, lauralex.co.uk. Her books are the novel, Pivot, and the humour book, Clop Actually. Thank you, David Brady for our theme music. And thank you to everyone who is over at news.speakola.com. Pretty excited about the 100,000. Okay, let them know for a second. Excellent. Thank you to people who have shared and suggested Speakola. If you're a bride or a groom who's tuned in for this episode in particular, best of luck with the big day. My wedding speech is up on Speakola if you want to have a read. Look up Tony Wilson wedding speakola. It's too long, but it is filled with love. Get well soon, Tamson, from your COVID bout. Hopefully, I'll be out and about soon as well. All the best, everyone. Speak well until next time.